I asked specifically if Jeff would play that song, There Must Be More, because that's the title of my sermon. And the reason that's the title of my sermon is I feel like it fits in well with what Bill has been discussing about the fullness of the gospel in our lives. And I was raised in the Baptist church for the most part. Prior to the Baptist church, I was in the Church of Christ. And so coming into the vineyard was a little bit um, different, though I didn't realize it at the time. But I learned this is actually a very old song. Uh, It may be new to some of you, but it's a very old song. And I absolutely loved it because at the time that I heard that song, that's what was going on in my life was I was seeking a different place with God. I was seeking to go someplace deeper with him. And I knew that there had to be more. And that's when God brought me into what is now the vineyard. At the time, it started as a home group, and we met on Friday nights for about a year and a half. We called it Friday Night Group. But that song has much meaning to me, and I think it fits in well with the series that Bill has been um, talking about. You know, Jesus' ministry was twofold. It was proclamation that the kingdom of God is here. But he didn't just stop with that proclamation. It was followed by demonstration that the kingdom of God was truly here. Remember when Jesus healed the guy who was, uh, had been lowered down into uh, the living room, really, uh, of this guy's house. And his friends had brought him. He was lame. And they were so desperate for Jesus to heal him that they you know, made a hole in the guy's roof. And they lowered him down. And uh, Jesus told him to pick up your pallet and walk. After he'd been been preaching to them, he demonstrated God's power and God's mercy towards that man. And so Jesus came with proclamation and demonstration, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, making the lame to see, casting out demons, raising the dead, healing the lepers. And not just healing the lepers. He touched them as he healed them. He wasn't afraid of them. So we see over and over again Jesus preaching and proclaiming the good news and then demonstrating it with power and authority through the miracles that he performed. And it's the same with the disciples. They too proclaimed the kingdom of God was here and demonstrated with proclamation and with works and miracles. Luke 9 verses 1 through 2 says, And when Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They go hand in hand, preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. Are are one and the same. Luke chapter 10 is where it talks about how he sent out the 72. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. You know, I I think about how they came back just full of joy and amazement and probably even astounded about the things that they were able to do through the power of God. One of the things that Bill said last week was that the gospel is not completed in us until it produces fruit in the world. The fruit is the consummation of our identity. And I would just like to add 
that fruit is the proclamation of our identity in Christ. That is part of the fruit that we bear as Christians. There's the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. There's also the fruit of faith, which allows us to step out in boldness and proclaim not just that Jesus loves you, but let me show you how much Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he is willing, willing to heal your knee or whatever is going on inside of you. And that as he heals your knee, He's letting you know how much he loves you, and he wants to heal all of the brokenness that's in you. Because we don't just suffer from physical ailments. We suffer from a separation of, from God, a spiritual ailment, which is far, far surpasses any physical ailment that we could ever have. So Jesus comes to heal not just the physical, but the inner, the relationship between us and the Father. And, he, and Jesus said to them in Mark 16 in the Great Commission, he said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will be healed. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied them. I come from a background where they don't preach on these particular verses very often. They kind of stop with the go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And they just kind of stop right there. They don't take the full gospel to the people. That there is power and there is authority for those of us who believe in Jesus as we go out to proclaim the gospel. So confirmation of the proclamation of the gospel is signs and wonders. When Jesus entered this world, he came to take back, to reclaim what was taken from God back in the garden. And speaking in sports terms, Jesus was on the offense. He wasn't on the defense. He was on the offense. He was gaining ground. And we are too. We are in a spiritual battle. We live in a physical world, but we live in a spiritual supernatural world as well. And we've been given both the authority and the power by the Holy Spirit to advance that kingdom of God, to reclaim the kingdom of God, to take back what the enemy has stolen. The authority and the power are our offensive weapons that we use against the enemy. Those are the weapons we use. Um, in Matthew eleven twelve, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Um, that verse was always kind of puzzling to me. And as I was actually studying for this message, I came across this verse, and um, all of a sudden the light bulb just went off about what that really means. Because you're talking about forceful and violence and all this other stuff. And it's like, God, ew, you know, what, what's the deal here? Well, Jesus is telling his disciples that something new began with the ministry of John the Baptist. 
Certain things had now been put into motion. Things are moving in a direction like they've never moved before. And as you and I begin to grasp and understand that the king, what the kingdom of God was and what the kingdom of God is and understand the power and the authority of Christ is ours also because he's given it to us that every time that we pray for someone and they are healed, we are the forceful men who are taking the kingdom of God by force. Okay, We are advancing that kingdom of God forcefully as we enter into that realm against Satan. Because, again, as we pray for healing for people, that's as much a spiritual battle as anything else. It really is, especially as, as we seek to know that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he destroys us with our, our health and uh, our families and in the financial realm of our lives, he comes to, to, to trip us up in any way possible to get our eyes and our focus off of God. And Jesus has come to restore that. And as we pray for people and we see God move in that, we are taking that kingdom back. We are the people who are advancing the kingdom of God in a forceful and violent way against the enemy. The enemy be, is in retreat. Then when John the Baptist was in prison, if you remember, he sent some of his disciples to Jesus and, he, and asked, he said, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And I, I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, I think he, he understood what was going on at that time, that this was the Messiah that was coming. And um, verse 21 says, at that very time, that the disciples had come to him uh, from John the Baptist. He had cured many diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Um, those who have had leprosy are healed. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. So it's demonstration and proclamation. That's what Jesus told. What I find interesting is what Jesus didn't say to, the, to uh, John's disciples. He didn't point to all the prophecies in the Old Testament and said, See, I have fulfilled all of these things. I am a son of David, and I was born in Bethlehem, and on and on and on. Okay? Instead, instead of trying to give a log logical explanation, which is what we try to do sometimes when we, let's say, debate people, all right? Instead, he answered with demonstration of power from the Holy Spirit that had been poured out. He points out that the kingdom of God was advancing and demonstration and power wins over logic every time. And I, I've never considered myself a person to be an apologist. An apologist is somebody who's kind of a, def a defender of the faith, that, you know, if you can, you can debate someone on the merits of who Jesus was or the, um, the validity of the Bible and those types of things. There are people that are out there that are gifted that can do that. I don't consider myself to be one of those. And I have a, a family member who um, is an atheist, and he's a very um, logical person. He's an intellectual, I would say. I actually consider Bill to be one of the smartest men I know and an extreme intellectual in, in many, many ways. And, 
And so this person, this family member, always kind of wanted to debate these things with me. And I couldn't go there because I knew I could never win that debate. I knew that he could, with his words, that he would be able to overcome anything that I might have to say. So I just didn't engage in that. It was, it, I knew it would be fruitless and futile and frustrating um, because we both want to win, and I knew that he would win in that scenario. So I just would shut him down and say, I'm not going there. We're not going to have that conversation, you know. And, um, and that was frustrating to him because he wanted to, but, you know, it is what it is. But I know that I know that I know that demonstration and power wins over logical explanations every time. And this is what this person needs in his life, is he needs a demonstration of the power of God to heal his body because he is in much pain. And so the next time I see them, this will be something for me to step into that God is calling me to do. Everything that the Father has is ours. And through Christ, we have come into an inheritance. I guarantee you that if James and I passed away and we had millions that we left to our children, their life would be impacted in a, in a, in a very different way. Um, they, they would live their life differently. Well, so it is with us. We have a great inheritance from God. We have an inheritance beyond what this world has to offer. It's an inheritance that is not of this world, but supersedes this world and points to an eternal value where lives are changed and healed, things that cannot be bought with money. We have a, a spiritual dimension that far outweighs any monetary dimension that could ever uh, come close to it. I mean, people, you know, have said that they would, you know, they would give all that they had if they could be healed from cancer or, or whatever is in their life. But money won't do it. God will do it. The writer of the book of Hebrews mentions heroes of the faith, and he has a long list, I mean, a whole chapter. You know, there's Moses, and there's Noah, and there's Abraham and Sarah. There's David. Um, there's so many, and he goes, he lists them all. And he says that there are a great cloud of witnesses that are there watching over us. They've seen, they've, they see what goes on. Well, I, I think in the vineyard we also have um, heroes of faith as well. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is John Wimber, who was found, one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement. And um, he, he's the one who really brought in to the Vineyard and talk, took us back to the scriptures of the demonstration of the power of God in healing. And if you've ever heard his testimony, he will tell you over and over again that, that they prayed for months and months and months for people in their church to be healed without ever seeing one healing. And God told him that you don't go by what you see, you be obedient to what I've called you to do. Okay? And that's the same for us. We have to be obedient to what God's called us to do. As we reach out and as we pray for people to be healed, we continue to persist and push through because that's what God's called us to do. The rest is up to him, but we have to be faithful in that calling. Well, John passed away back in 1977, and, uh, I, and that was a great loss for us in the vineyard. But, you know, I know that he's up there right now with those other witnesses uh, looking down on what God continues to do through what John 
help to, uh, to start and plant. Uh, there's another one. Uh, his name is Bill Jackson. He was a pastor. He was a teacher, and he was a writer. We've got several books that he's written, um, and he just passed away last year, and it was very sad to see him, to, to see him go because many of us in this room have been impacted by his teaching. He's got a teaching that's called Nothing's Going to Stop It. And he, he starts in Genesis, and he goes through Revelation about how God set in motion from the be- very beginning all that was to come. You know, I was having a conversation with one of my children this week, and um, she's decided to, to start reading the Bible. But she's coming across some things that are different, uh, you know, that she has questions about. And She's, she feels as though that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament, almost like it's two different gods. And I've heard that argument before, and I can see where someone would come up with that. And I'm not really going to address that today other than to say that Bill Jackson takes that whole thing and he puts it in perspective of how, that, how all those pieces fit together. So he is also up there with a the great cloud of witnesses. Um, there is another hero of the faith who's still very much alive and and well and with us today. And his name is Robbie Dawkins. Many of us here have gone to see Robbie speak and been to his conferences. We've read his books. He's got uh, several videos that are out. And he has really impacted uh, the church. And I don't mean just the Vineyard Church. I mean the global church. Robbie goes and speaks all across the world about how to pray for the sick. And what's great, he has hundreds and hundreds of stories. And he's a very personable speaker. He's very down to earth. And he's very, uh, he's very funny. And he's just, he's one of us. You know, he, he's not pretentious at all. And he mentors you, though, uh, and one of our meetings that we went to, we uh, went to Baton Rouge to hear him. We went to a, a Friday night. They had a Friday night teaching, then a Saturday morning teaching. Then we actually went out, and we did it. We call it doing the stuff, doing the stuff that Jesus did. And we actually went out, and we prayed for people. And then we came back that night, and there were testimonies, and there was more teaching. But one of the things that Robbie did, I went forward to be prayed for my shoulder. I was having problems with my shoulder. And he prayed for my shoulder, and it and it got better. And then he had me pray for the, the next person that came up for prayer. And you know what? He walks you through it. And, he, and you just repeat what he has to say. Because, you know, it's not the words that are magic. It's the power of God. And he, and he has children. Children and teenagers are not disqualified in proclaiming the gospel through demonstration and power. He has an amazing ministry. And if you're interested in learning more about him, He has books, and you can go to YouTube, and there are over 300 videos of his teachings. And um, there's just so much there, it's a little overwhelming. And, you know, after you've heard Robbie several times, you'll hear some of the same stories over and over again. But if you haven't heard him in a while, and say you were to go hear him to speak today, he would have new and fresh stories because he is constantly out there. He is like a heat-seeking missile. All right, God, who needs to hear from you today? Who needs a touch from you today? And God will point out someone to him. And that's really our goal. God, where can you use me today? Who needs a touch from you today? Who needs not just to be healed, but who needs to know of your great love? And let me be that person, that instrument that goes out into the world and touches other people's lives. And he's got a great book. I've downloaded it on my Kindle, but you can order it on Amazon or through his website. And it's called Do What Jesus Did. And he takes you through these scriptures. And he just, you know... 
He just talked, and, and then the book is full of different stories that he has. And I'd like to read a couple of quotes from this book. The first quote says, To call ourselves Christ followers, to seek to do the things that Jesus did, means coming to terms with also walking in his power. The proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom of God was the central aspect of Christ's ministry of reconciliation. It's not simply a message of words or kind acts. Paul said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's in second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.4. God demonstrates his love with powerful acts. And as I said before, a demonstration of God's power far outweighs any logical argument that you might possibly have. The second quote is, our goal is to know God and to walk with him, doing the things that he did, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God through his love and reconciling people back into a right relationship with him. Whenever Robbie heals someone, he will tell them, God is pursuing you. Just as he healed you, he wants to heal your heart the brokenness. He loves you. It was not by accident that I was here today. Your name is on the lips of God's mouth and in his heart. And he proclaims the gospel message in a very simple, simple way to these people. Now, I will tell you, and Robbie will probably tell you too, how many of these people come to know the Lord? Many really do come to full faith in him. And some may not. But the same thing happened to Jesus there were many, many followers of Jesus who um, saw him perform the, the miracles. Just think about the 5,000 that he fed. And he did that a couple of different times, okay? And then the, those that he healed and the, the lepers and the blind people. You know, did they all become followers of Jesus? I don't think that they probably did. But, you know, it was a seed, maybe not at that time, but it was a seed that was planted, it was a seed that fell on rocky soil that God removed the rocks and maybe went a little bit deeper. So our call is to go to people and to share the gospel with them, but we're not, you know, I'm not responsible for getting people saved. I'm just responsible for doing what God's called me to do and let God and the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. So the question that I have is what is stopping us? Why aren't we doing these things? Well, probably 20 years ago, I would have said, well, I didn't know that I could do those things. You know, I came from a background that didn't really do that. We prayed for the sick, but we didn't lay hands on them and pray for them. And we didn't command them to be healed. We just prayed, God, would you just heal them? Would you make them comfortable? You know, what, a kind of a vanilla prayer, if you will. But why are we so hesitant to step into the authority and the power that God has bestowed upon us as his heirs and sons of God? Well, some of those reasons might very well be, number one, could be fear. What are we afraid of? Maybe we're afraid of ridicule. Maybe we're afraid of failure, fear of failure. Fear that we might look like a fool. You know, fear is a very powerful tool of the enemy and he uses that for many different things i know people that are afraid you know they're afraid to stand up and speak you know they don't like to be in large crowds they don't have 
whatever it takes to stand up, and, like, in front of you guys. And I'm like, well, I can stand in front of you guys and speak, but you don't want me on the worship team. Just, you know, there are limits to that. So um, it would not just be fear. It would be weeping on your part. But the point being that we allow fear to rob us of the joy that God has for us and to rob us of the, um, the things that he wants us to do as we reach out. So fear, I think, is one reason. I think another is feelings of disqualification. Who am I to think that I can pray for someone and that they might be healed? I am so far from perfect, how could God ever use me to heal others? And maybe you yourself are afflicted by some kind of disease, and God has not healed you from that. And you're like, how can I go pray for someone else when I've got X, Y, and Z wrong with me? Well, there's not one verse in the scripture that disqualifies any of us for praying for others. But we let it. You know, as I mentioned before, if you're a teenager, even if you're a small child, God can use you to heal others. The enemy is the only one who disqualifies you. It's not God. And you can't listen to that voice. One of my favorite songs from Jeremy Riddle is called Full Attention. And the song is really, I think, a prayer that says, Lord, help me to keep my eyes and my focus on you and let your voice be louder than all the other voices that I hear, all those voices that are speaking to me and wanting to drag me down. God, let me hear your voice that says, just do it. I am with you. You can do this. And so God's voice needs to be louder in our life than all those other voices that try to tear us down and disqualify us. Maybe we have doubts. You know, not even doubt disqualifies you. Matthew 28, 16, and 17 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I was kind of blown away by that. I just kind of glossed over that verse in other times when I've read that. Even after seeing and talking to the resurrected Jesus, some still doubted. But you know what? It doesn't stop us. It didn't stop them, and we can't allow it to stop us. Because I think when we, we spell faith, risk, R-I-S-K, when we risk and we step out in our doubt, in our uncertainty, in our fear, that is when God comes in. Because we know it's not about us. We know we don't have that ability to do anything. And that's when the power of God is truly, is truly there to manifest who he is in the lives of others. So doubt cannot be one of those things that disqualifies you. Some of us may have a past. Satan wants you to focus on you. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm not good enough, you know. Um, you focus on your doubts. You focus on your feelings. You focus on your fears of disqualification. Maybe you've only been clean and sober for 48 hours. Okay? You start where you are now, today, here. Not where you were 48 hours ago. And not where you want to be. You can't say, well, once I am been a Christian for this length of time, or once I've read 
all the New Testament. No. You start right now, today. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our past is our past. We leave it behind us. Nobody cares about that. We want to move forward. And so we press on and we look at Jesus and we set our eyes and we fix our eyes on Jesus and we forget about our past. Let God heal that. Let God forgive that and move on and press toward towards what God has called us to do and be in him. Acts 8.1 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Lake Jackson, in Angleton, in Clute, in Freeport, at Walmart, at HEB, at Chili's, at El Toro, and to the ends of the earth. Those are the places that we go to. Those are the places we frequent. Our jobs, if we work out in the plant, if we, go to, if we attend school, if we teach school, wherever we go, that is the territory that we are to proclaim the gospel in. Everyone can receive power from the Holy Spirit. And we know that we have the authority. So we have no excuses. All right, I want everyone to stand. I've got a, a testimony of sorts a little bit. I work in a doctor's office of all places. I work for an allergy doctor. And um, I have, there's a nurse that works there who has been having some problems, intestinal problems. And so I pulled her into the kitchen. This was about Friday a week ago. And I said, you know, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And, and, and I did, and I prayed for her. And I prayed that, that God would just take away her discomfort and would heal her. And I told her, I said, now, Shelly, I'm going to check with you. This was that kind of at the end of the day on Friday. I said, I want you to tell me honestly how things are the next time I see you. And, uh, and then there was another uh, patient. There was a patient who had come in who had had a reaction to, the, to um, her injection. And this is the second time that this had happened to her. This time she made it all the way home. We actually talked about it before she left, that she was looking good. She was feeling great. She got home, and um, the reaction came, and she turns beet red, and she gets real hot and, and all of this. So she comes back, and she's in with the doctor and in with the nurses and stuff. And, and, and we've talked several times before, and I know that she's the daughter of a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor. She grew up in the Presbyterian church. And I went in, and I said, can I pray for you? And she said, oh, yes, please. So I prayed for her. And I just prayed that the, that the effects of the injection would just dissipate and go away. And, and truly, by that time, it had already started to happen. And I just prayed that God would continue to do that. And so, yeah, I prayed for them. Yay, me. But I wimped out, too. And the, how I wimped out was I didn't really command 
them to be healed in the name of Jesus. I prayed one of those, oh God, would you just, you know, make sure that everything goes okay. And for my friend, the nurse that had the intestinal problems, you know, I didn't really, I really didn't step out in faith and pray like I feel like God wants us to, to step out in authority and proclamation. And both of these women that I prayed for, they are believers, and I knew that. And so I think, you know, at least I feel like I'm pointed in the right direction. But, you know, Jesus never asked the Father, God, would you, like, please heal this blind guy, you know, and just make his vision come back? Or, or would, you, would you touch this lame man's legs, Father, so that, that he could walk again? Would you please do that for me, God? He's such a, he's a good guy, and, and, and I know he loves you, and, and would you do that? That is not at all the way Jesus did it. Jesus commanded him, take up your pallet and walk. Jesus touched their eyes and said, be healed, receive your sight. Well, I think if that's the way Jesus did it, I'm thinking that's probably the way that we need to do it too. And one of the most interesting ones was when Jesus healed Lazarus. No, he didn't heal him. He raised him from the dead. There is a difference. And um, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus knows the Father always hears him. We need to know the Father always hears us as we pray for others. Okay? I've heard it said that Jesus called Lazarus by name to come forth. Because had he not called him by name, no telling who all would have come out of there. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard in the past. And I, I believe that to be true. That Jesus specifically called Lazarus to come forth. But the interesting thing was he said, God, I say this not for my benefit because I know you hear me. But I want them to know that you hear me as well. So what we do when we pray for others, we command for healing to take place and we let God do the rest. 